Okay, so we're going to start and uh, you remember the last time I shared with you, um, we looked at the first half of John's Gospel, chapter 10, chapter 10, and there Jesus announced himself as the Good Shepherd. And that was against a backdrop of bad shepherds. Uh, the leaders of that time had just excommunicated a man who believed in Jesus. He would not side with the Pharisees against Jesus, so they excommunicated him. They kicked him out of the synagogue. And uh, Jesus said that, you know, there will be leaders like that. And he called them thieves and robbers because they entered the flock not by the door, which is through God, through the call of God, but they climbed over the wall. They, they got there some other way. And there will always be leaders like that that are not called, but they're there in that position and they will do damage to the body of Christ. Uh, Jesus called them thieves, robbers. He called them strangers. They don't know the flock. They don't know the father. They don't know the flock. And he called them hirelings because they're in it for what they can get out of it. But in contrast, he is the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's how you know a good shepherd. Jesus came to lay down his life for us. So we're going to continue in that chapter and we read in verse 22. Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. Now, we just mentioned this because John brings this in for a purpose, the Feast of Dedication. You won't find that in the list of feasts that were appointed by God through Moses to the nation of Israel. You know, all the other feasts you'll find there in uh, uh, the book of Leviticus or Numbers or Deuteronomy, they're there in the law, but the Feast of Dedication is not there. Why is that? Because that came much later, in fact, after the Old Testament was concluded in what we call the intertestamental period between the Old and the New Testament period. There was a period of uh, 400 years. And uh, during that time, the, the Greeks ruled the world. The Greeks had conquered the world. Alexander the Great died very young, I think about the age of 32, something like that. And um, his kingdom was divided into four parts under four generals. Okay, so one of those parts was in the north of Israel in Syria. And the king of that part of the kingdom was called Antiochus. There, were, there was just a name like Caesar. So there were many Antiochus, one, two, three, four, and so on. And uh, in the south, they were ruled by, in Egypt, by the Ptolemies. Okay, they were like the kings down there. So eventually these two warred with each other and Israel was the meat in the sandwich. 
Okay, so sometimes they were dominated by the Egyptians and other times it was the, the, the Syrians or the Antiochians that, that ruled over them. Okay, now I'm telling you this background for a reason. Because during uh, the time of um, when this feast was dedicated, or the, the, the cause of it I should say, is because the, the Syrians under Antiochus IV dominated Israel and wanted to change their whole culture, wanted to switch their culture from their Hebrew background, including their language, their culture, their religion, their faith, everything. They, they wanted to take that from them and what we call Hellenize them. That means uh, make them uh, Jew, uh, sorry, Greek in, in, in their way of thinking and in their way of living. And uh, there was a tremendous persecution that came to Israel during that time. And uh, this man called Judas Maccabeus, a Jewish man and his family were raised up to lead a resistance movement against these Syrians and to liberate the temple and, 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 and the country from the oppression of the Syrians. And, and they succeeded amazingly. God was with them and blessed them and gave them victory. And they, 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 they brought liberty to their people. And so they had a feast called the Feast of Dedication or Hanukkah. You might have heard of Hanukkah. Uh, it's actually on December the 25th, which is Christmas Day for us. We, we've set that day aside to celebrate the birth of Christ. But they use it to um, celebrate the liberation of the temple especially as well as the country and they it, hanukkah means lights it's the feast of lights they brought a lot of lights into the temple because the temple was full of darkness before let's just look at that what they did antiochus antiochus tried to hellenize the jews he said that any jew possessing a copy of the law was to be killed they executed anyone that had a copy of the torah the law uh, any child that was uh, circumcised or if a child was circumcised the parents were punished by death in fact the the mothers were crucified with their baby hanging around their neck that's how cruel they were the temple itself was turned into a house of prostitution and they want to do everything they could to defile the temple of Israel they stole millions in gold and silver from the temple treasury and probably worst of all, the great altar of burnt offering where the offerings were offered up to the Lord, you know, on behalf of the people, that was turned into an altar to the Greek god Zeus and pigs were sacrificed on the altar. Now we know that a pig is an unclean animal to the Jewish people and so they wanted to do everything they could to insult them and defile their temple and corrupt it. There was an uprising against them during which 80,000 Jews were killed and the same number were captured and sold as slaves. But it was against that background that this family rose up and led a resistance movement that eventually overthrew the Syrians and liberated the people. And so they, they, they called it the, 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 the festival of light. They brought all these candles into the temple and brought light back into the temple and cleansed it, purified it, and so on. Now, John mentions that for a reason. Uh, we see the Jews surrounded Jesus. They came to him. They actually circled around him, trapped him. And he was in the midst of this circle of Jews and they wanted to know this, the answer to this question. Are you the Messiah? Tell us plainly, yes 
or no. Um, if he was, you see, the thing is, this is, you can just imagine they were all there at the Feast of Dedication. Everyone was looking back to what Maccabeus had done and, 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 and you know, praising God that he had brought liberty to the Jews. But now they were under the, the oppression of the Romans and they knew that the, the, the scriptures promised that when Messiah came, he would bring deliverance to them. So that's why they were asking that question. Are you the Messiah? Everyone was talking about when the Messiah comes, what happened at the you know, dedication feast will happen again. We'll be liberated once and for all. So tell us, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that's going to do that? If not, they wouldn't waste their time with him. To them, the word Messiah had political and military connotations. See, this is the background. Feast of dedication. Jesus replied, I told you many times. I even confirmed it by my works, which were signs or miracles with a message, which we've been looking at. We've seen six of those signs. But he never presented himself as a political leader. He wasn't going to fit into their role of what a Messiah would be. He did not want to be their political leader, but their shepherd. But they did not follow him because they were not his sheep. He said, you know, um, you don't believe me because you are not my sheep. Then he went on to say, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. So Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Let's have a look at that. There is a real and personal relationship between Jesus and his people. First of all, they hear his voice. Now we're his sheep. When, when we heard his voice through the gospel preaching to us, it wasn't an audible voice, but we heard the, the gospel calling us to God through Christ. We heard his voice. We are his sheep. So we heard his voice and we responded by believing in him. And uh, he knows us, we know him, we have a personal relationship. We, we often talk about our personal relationship with Jesus. And the sheep follow the shepherd. Okay, notice that. He doesn't say they might follow them or they, they can follow them. My sheep follow me. Okay, that's how we know they are his sheep. These are promised to be eternally secure. No one can snatch them out of the shepherd's hand. No one. And they will never perish. You know, people that argue against eternal security, they're, they're trying to dispute what Jesus is saying here very clearly. They're in my hand and no one will take them out of my hand. And furthermore, they're in the Father's hand. My hand is in the Father's hand. They're double wrapped. No one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. Paul said the same thing. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Double wrapped. And so you have eternal security. Uh, that's what he promises to his sheep. You're safe. You're secure. You don't need to worry. You don't need to fear because I am the good shepherd. Now, Jesus often assures us of this. We, we've seen this already in John's gospel. He said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. In other words, he will have eternal life. 
And the bread that I shall give him is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Again, he said, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. They will have eternal life, immortality. They will never die. And then he said this, I and my father are one. We are one. Notice that statement. I am my father. So there's two persons, right? I, Jesus, and my father. Yeah. But we are one. One in essence. One in deity. Co-equal. Co-eternal. Later on he's going to speak about the Holy Spirit in, in chapter 14 or 15. He's going to introduce us to the Holy Spirit who's the third person of, of the Godhead. One in essence. But also, and what he's speaking about here is that one in purpose one in purpose and the purpose is our salvation and our security the security of the sheep i and my father are one in this this is our mission this is why we what we're here to do is to save the sheep and to make them secure look at this beautiful prayer that jesus prayed later on in john chapter 17. he's talking to the father he says i pray for them that's us not only the sheep that were there but he said others also will come and he was referring to us he said i do not pray for the world but for those whom you have given me for they are yours and all mine are yours and yours are mine and i am glorified in them now i am no longer in the world but these are in the world and i come to you holy father keep through your name those whom you have given me that they may be one as we are while I was with them in the world I kept them in your name those whom you gave me I've kept and none of them is lost you see what he's saying when I was with with the, with the sheep I kept every one of them none of them is lost now I'm going from the world now father you keep those you keep the sheep and and he promised eternal security to those who are his praise God then the Jews shook, uh, took up stones. The Jews took up stones again, again to stone him. Remember that um, there was building going on and the temple site at that time. So they would go to where the building site was, find some uh, stones, any stone they could pick up and come back to stone him. And Jesus answered them, many good works I have shown you from the Father, my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him saying, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? And if he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified, and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the son of God. And we need to look at that. What is that all about? First of all, Jesus asked why they wanted to kill him when he only did good deeds. All the works of Jesus were good. They were not the works of Satan. Satan doesn't do good works. Doesn't heal the sick, doesn't feed the poor, and doesn't you know, uh, uh, do good, but he does bad things. They replied, not for his deeds were they wanting to stone him, but for blasphemy. A charge that Jesus did not refute. If Jesus was not saying that he was God, he would have stopped them right there. He would have said, you have misunderstood me. I'm not saying that. But he was claiming to be God. 
That's the whole point. He was not making himself God. As they said, you make yourself God. Nobody can make themselves God. But by his words and his works, he showed himself to be God. He was demonstrating that he was God. Now, Jesus pointed out the term gods was used in Psalm 22. He, let's go back and look at that because this, is, um, this has been really misused, this passage. If you go back, you know, Jesus said uh, halfway through there, is it not written? So I can just get you there. Okay, we're reading from there. Is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming? Because I said, I am the son of God. Now, unfortunately, people have taken that passage out of its context and preached really bad teaching on that. They basically say, we, see God is saying we are gods. We are little gods, okay? So you're a god and I'm a god and we're all gods. And, and, and they base it on that scripture, okay? And in fact, some people are very bold and blasphemous in what they say. They say that when it comes to our standing with God, we're on an equality with him. We're equal with God. I can show you word for word where this is what has been said and what is being taught. We're equal with God. And, and you know, it goes on to say, when we're in the presence of God, we are not there as an inferior to him. In fact, God can only do what we tell him to do. It's our prayers that have the ultimate say. And so, because we are gods, you see. Now, that's obviously bad teaching, wrong teaching and, and heresy. The scripture's not teaching that. That is not saying that either. Um, you know, God is the great I am. The God who was and is and is to come without beginning, without ending. The infinite God, the eternal God, the creator of all things. We are his creatures. We were created by him. And yet they say, well, you know, he's the great I am, but we're a little I am. Now, everything I've observed is this, that when somebody says, I am a little I am, and they come up against the great I am, the little I am becomes an I was. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We're not little gods. You know, as, as I often say, if you're a little god, well, go and create a little universe. Just a little one, and we'll believe you. You know, God created the universe. You're a little god, create a little universe, and then we'll believe you. We're not gods. Now, so what is, what is it saying? See, the Bible says this, and this is where people quote, they say, oh, but we are partakers of the divine nature. Now, that's true. We are partakers of the divine nature. When we're born again, God comes to live inside us and we have his nature. But, but you've got to understand there is a difference. The, the theologians put it this way, a difference between the moral attributes of God and the exclusive attributes of God. The moral attributes of God are those things which we call the fruit of the Spirit, okay? We have God's love in us. The fruit of the Spirit is love. We can love unlovely people, amen? The fruit of the Spirit is joy, supernatural joy, joy when everything's going against you. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The fruit of the Spirit is peace, patience, goodness, kindness. All these things come to us from God. It's his life in us. These are the moral attributes of God. But the exclusive attributes are things like his omnipotence. 
He's almighty. He has all power. His omniscience. He knows all things. Yeah? His omnipresence. He's present everywhere. Hallelujah. His eternity. His infinity. We could go on. The exclusive attributes of God. So we come and we worship him for who he is. We don't pretend to be the same as him or on equal terms with him. Amen. So what is this saying then? Now, if you look at that scripture uh, in its context, the judges of that time were called gods because they were in the place of God, speaking the word of God. When they judged, they could only bring God's judgment to the people. So it wasn't really them speaking. It's not what we think this. God told them what is right and what is wrong, and they passed that judgment on. So they were referred to as gods. It's like when we preach the gospel. We're ambassadors for Christ. Amen? We're, we, we, we're there in his name. Jesus said, he that rejects you, what? Rejects me. We're representing him. These judges were representing God. But if you look at what it goes on to say in that psalm, they were corrupt judges. And he says, you know, you are gods, but you will all die. <laughs> well, a God doesn't die. <laughs> a God in, in, in the way that they were, you know, these false teachers in, use that term or that word. Okay, so what Jesus is saying is, look, let's just go back to our notes here. Jesus pointed out that the term gods was used in Psalm 22, uh, 82 for mortal men, and they never had a problem with that. Nobody ever said, oh, don't call them gods. They're not gods. You know, take up stones and stone them. Nobody said that about them. All through the history of their, their nation, hundreds and hundreds of years, nobody contested with that. But in contrast, Jesus is the Son of God. By nature, I and my Father are one, and by union with the Father. And he does the works which only God can do and which testify of him so how much more does the term God apply to the Son of God? Or as John said right at the beginning of this gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the one whom God has set apart to, to, you know, to be God manifest in the flesh. Amen? That's what Jesus was saying, is look, these corrupt judges who have all died, you call them gods? How much more? When the Son of God comes, why, why would you call that blasphemy when I say, I am, am I and my Father are one? Why did they hate Jesus so much? That's a good question. Why was there so much hatred towards Jesus? We've seen it week after week when we've been going through John's Gospel. The answer is because of his holiness. His holiness means he's different, he's separated under God, and their sinfulness. Jesus said, the world cannot hate you, to the Jews, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. See, we know that sin entered the world and then sin shaped the world and molded the world and formed the character of the world so that the world was in darkness. And so when the light comes into the world, people looked at that and said that's not normal you know we can't even look at that it's too bright too brilliant and so they opposed it because it was different to them but they were the ones that were in the wrong amen that's what jesus is saying the carnal mind is enmity against god and this was seen when god incarnate came to the earth 
opposition right from the beginning. As a child, an attempt was made, a satanic attempt at that, to murder him. You remember all the children that were killed by Herod. Satan inspired him to try to kill him because he knew he was the son of God. And even after his first sermon, if you read that in Luke's gospel, in the synagogue, when he preached his first sermon, what did they do? They wanted to take him to the cliff and push him over, kill him after his first sermon. And many times after that, as we have seen in John's gospel, he was just a hairbreadth away from being murdered. Why is that? Well, because he testified that his works are evil. And to the degree that his light shines out from us, we will be hated by unbelievers. That's the, that's the fact of the matter. I don't want to be negative, but that's the fact of the matter. If the world hates you, Jesus said, you know that it hated me before it hated you. You know, we're, we're living in a day right now where, where it's, it's incredible the way things are, I was going to say escalating, but, but, but spiraling downhill very fast morally. So that not only are people living sinfully and, you know, unrighteously, but it's been enshrouded in the law. And if we say that that's wrong, we're the ones that are breaking the law. We're the ones that are in the wrong. And we're the ones that are penalized and, and the law is against us. That's, that's the situation is, that, that, that we've come to. John says this, why did Cain hate, his, hate Abel? And, and gives this answer, because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. So it's light and darkness coming into collision. Now Paul says, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them by just being the light. All things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. So, Jesus said, woe unto you when all the world speaks well of you because the light's not shining forth very much. There will come, not that we go looking for trouble or asking for persecution, but there will be times when we'll be put on the spot and we need to stand up for Jesus and let the light shine out. The most thing that uh, people resist is the gospel. So expect persecution when we preach the gospel, just as Jesus was hated. Jesus went on to say, if I do not do the works of my father do not believe me but if i do though you do not believe me believe the works that you may know and believe that the father is in me and i in him therefore they sought again to seize him but he escaped out of their hand so god said jesus is portrayed in the works of jesus first of all as loving and compassionate. You think about all the works that Jesus did. He, he caused the blind to see. We just saw that in chapter 9. The lame to walk. The deaf to hear. The dumb to speak. The lepers to be cleansed. Even the dead to be raised. Are these bad works? Or are these works of compassion? He fed the hungry. He helped people out in emergencies like at the, the wedding of Cana when they ran out of wine. He turned the water into wine and so on and so forth. These are good works that show the compassion and the love of the Father. But also, he's a God who has authority. He cast out demons. 
that were torturing and tormenting people. He had authority over them. This is because he is in the Father and the Father is in him. And so there they are. They've, they've, they've encircled him. They've surrounded him. But the Bible says he escaped out of their hands. In other words, he stepped out of their circle and escaped. I love this. We've seen this over and over and over again that Jesus did things not in their time or in anybody else's time frame or schedule but according to his father's will he went out of their circle and there was nothing they could do to hold him they tried to arrest him but they could not and it says he went away again we finish with this beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first and there he stayed then many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man were true. And many believed in him there. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus left Jerusalem and didn't return there until Palm Sunday. He retreated for safety to the other side of the Jordan. Now he left Jerusalem for now because he was not to die at the Feast of Dedication. Why? Because the whole focus of that is we want a political Messiah. If he presented himself as their Messiah in the terms of what they thought the Messiah would be and do, then he would die as just another one of those would-be liberators that had died. So when the I'll read that again. He left Jerusalem for now because he was not to die at the Feast of Dedication when the Jews were looking for a military deliverer, but at the Passover feast because they and we needed a lamb who takes away the sins of the world. See how the timing was so important? It wasn't just that he would die for the world. He had to die at the right time so that the Jews could see he died at the Passover when he would be the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. So here we see in this verse the ministry of John. Let's read that back again. Um, he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first. Where he there he stayed. Then many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man were true. And many believed in him there. What I want you to see is that the ministry of John, even though he was dead, he was beheaded, was still bearing fruit. The people who were impacted by it, because he was pointing to Jesus, see? They came to hear Jesus and believed on him. Now that, that should encourage us, it encourages me, to know that if we will point people to Jesus, if that's our ministry, and it is our ministry, to point people to Jesus, not to point them to ourselves, but to point them to him, that ministry will continue bearing fruit even when we've died. You and I will never know the full extent of the fruitfulness of our ministry when we point people to Jesus. You might not see them turn to Jesus at that time, but you've spoken the word that points to him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And even after we have gone, 
we will still be bearing fruit. What's that verse in Revelation? Blessed are those who die in the Lord. Was it they, they, they're passed on, but their works do follow them. Their works do follow them. And that's the beautiful thing is seeds. You see, we're sowing seeds. Seeds take time to grow. And all these people on that side of Jordan had heard John. And, and, and it says here that John performed no sign. He did no miracle. And yet his testimony of Jesus was sufficient. Some people say that we must see miracles in order for people to believe. John didn't do one miracle. Not one. I mean, miracles are great. Praise God if they happen. But it's the word of God. God has chosen through the foolishness of preaching to save those who are lost. It's the word of God that brings people to Christ. So he went outside the camp. I use that term because it's a biblical term. He went outside of organized Jerusalem. He went across the Jordan to the other side. I'm going to read to you now as we close this, this passage. I've read it before. It's very important for these times in which we live. The writer to the Hebrews, who was trying to you know, encourage these Jews to leave Judaism and come into the new covenant, putting their trust in the fulfillment of all those Jewish types, said this, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Why? Because they were unclean. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. Amen. When you, when you look at the Old Testament, you see that God had very strict rules for the nation of Israel. Anything that was unclean was to be taken outside the camp, whether it was, it was ceremoniously unclean, they touched something that was not purified or whatever, or whether they were morally unclean, they had to go outside the camp. And the sacrifices that were offered where sin was placed on the sacrifice, that was taken outside the camp to be burned. So the camp was to be clean because that's where the Lord was, you see, in the midst of the camp, in the Holy of Holies. Everything unclean, take it outside the camp. But then something happened which reversed that completely. What happened is when Moses was up in the mount receiving the Ten Commandments, the law, the old covenant, the children of Israel at the foot of the mountain were breaking the law. They were creating idols and falling down and worshipping them and, and even some say naked and with immorality. They were, they were breaking the law. They, were, uh, uh, they had actually not just sinned, but they had apost apostatized. They had deserted God and, and turned to another God which they had created, you see? And so what God told Moses to do was to take his tent, his tabernacle, outside the camp because now the camp was unclean. And, and this is where God was, outside the camp. And anyone who wants to be right with God was to go outside the camp to this place to connect with God there. 
And so what the writer of the Hebrews is saying is this, look, Judaism now has rejected Christ and, and, and Jesus was crucified outside the city. He was crucified outside the camp, as it were. And so now we are to go outside under him. Now, we can, we can preach a lot about this, but when do we need to go outside the camp? The answer is very clear. Whenever the message is no longer about Jesus in the church, when the church can preach anything and everything except Jesus, when the focus is not on Jesus, it's time to leave the camp and go outside to where Jesus is. Amen? That's the message there. That's, that, that was illustrated by Jesus finally going outside of Jerusalem for the last time and people coming to him and believing in him. And I believe that that's where the church is at today in these days of apostasy in which we're living. I believe that's where we are. So here we see then just in summary that Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd and I know the sheep and they know me. They hear my voice and they will follow me. Amen. They will follow me. And sometimes people ask me, um, you know, I know someone and uh, he accepted Christ and uh, he's been coming to church and worshipping God for a long time, but, but now he no longer comes to church and he, he doesn't even believe in God anymore and, or he believes maybe in a higher power, but he doesn't believe it's the God of the Bible. He doesn't believe in Jesus. Is that person saved? Let me say two things. Number one, his sheep will follow him. Amen. They will follow him. When, when someone believes, when someone hears the gospel, faith, I believe divine faith, is given to them to believe in Jesus. We see that all the way through John's gospel. We see the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, her eyes were open. She put her trust in Jesus. She went and told the other Samaritans. They came and the Bible says this. Now we've heard you. We don't only believe because of what she said, but we've heard you ourselves and we know and believe that you are the saviour of the world. They put their faith in him. Amen. We come to John chapter 6 and we find uh, there again many people turning back and walking away from him. Multitudes who claim to be his disciples. Why? Because Jesus said, you're only following me for the bread that I gave you, the physical bread. You need to follow me for the bread that come down from heaven, the bread of life. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no, no life in you. They were offended. They turned around and walked away. What did Jesus say to the disciples? Will you go away also? Peter said this, where can we go? Where can we go? Doesn't matter whether we're in the minority or whatever. Where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Amen. And we believe that you are the son of God. We believe that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. In, 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 I think it's Matthew's gospel Jesus replied flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my father in heaven when you hear the gospel God opens your eyes and you know this is the one I must trust in him he's the one that will save me and he's the one that will be my, my, my Lord and uh, we, we, we see it again with the, the, you know, the, the, the man that was born blind Jesus said to him do you believe in the son of God who is he Lord it's the one that's talking to you. Lord, I believe. That's faith, you see. Now, that doesn't mean to say that that person is going to be 
walking consistently in a good way. We slip, we slide, we stand, we fall, we get up and we go on again, but we follow the shepherd. Amen? My sheep follow me. Hallelujah. Amen? My sheep follow me. They know me, they know my voice, and they follow me. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Though he fall, yet he will not be cast down, because the Lord will raise him up again. Praise God. And, and that's the meaning there. And so when you put your faith in Jesus, he's the author and the finisher of your faith. Amen? He that began a good work in you, he will complete it. That's the commitment that Jesus makes to us. When, when our eyes are open, he gives us faith that will enable us to endure to the end. Keeping our eyes upon Jesus. Fixing our eyes upon him, the author and the finisher of our faith. Aren't you glad you're one of his sheep? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your great love to us. Lord, we've just been singing in some of these songs. You, you left heaven where everything was so beautiful and so fine and so safe and so uh, secure. But Jesus, you left heaven to come down into this world and to be insulted, to be rejected, to be despised and ultimately to be crucified, knowing that it will be that you'll be dying for us, for our sin, taking the penalty that we deserved, that we might become your sheep. We might be forgiven, made righteous and have eternal life. And we thank you, Lord, for the promises you've given us today in your word, for reminding us that we will never perish. We have eternal life. No one will ever take us out of your hand. No one will ever take us from the Father's hand. And we give you the praise and the glory and the honor. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.